Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor, nurse, midwife, turned podcast host. It is our job and passion as midwives to listen to everyone else's story, their journey, their birth story. Now it's our turn to share. So here I am asking these midwives, what's your story? Join me each episode to hear the journey, the passion, and the mission of midwives today. Okay, listeners, today on our podcast, we have Cindy, who owns her own home birth practice in Southeast Virginia, the Hampton Roads area. So, um, Cindy, can you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I am Cindy Wiley, and I have a home birth practice in Hampton Roads, Virginia called Three Rivers Midwifery Service. And it's a newish practice. Right? Yes. Um, Well, I've been practicing since 2017, so I opened in March of 2017. So you're rolling into almost three years. I know. It's crazy. You're getting repeats probably by now. Yes. Very, very fun and exciting. I love it. Yes. That's awesome. And just to share our background, Cindy and I have known lots of mutual people, but we officially met when she spoke with my practice about transfers and then I hired her for my pregnancy and I risked out and did not get a home birth you get to say that I don't so I didn't know if we were going to talk about that I do I'm saying I'm sharing that because sometimes I like to just share kind of how we know each other that's awesome and we and also I want to say that when Amber contacted me to invite me to her practice to talk to the midwives that was really amazing and awesome and what I think it should be like because we all know that integrating um, out of hospital and in hospital midwifery service is the best way to have really good outcomes for families so it was really really nice that she reached out to me that way invited me in to talk about what I'm doing and learn about how I can collaborate with them yeah and it's been great we have kept a now long-running collegial friendship since yes. then and to toot your horn you're the only <laughs> certified nurse midwife doing home births in this area yes so that's correct that's exciting so we're going to go through your story I'm going to shoot you with questions okay can you tell us what made you want to be a midwife in the very beginning um, it was my own, it's going to sound like the, the age old story, but my own experience with my own births. Um, I was a young mom and knew nothing. I mean, just nothing about pregnancy and birth when I was pregnant with my first, when I was 20 and I went to my mom's OB cause you know, what are you going to do? You tell your mom you're pregnant and you know, I'd been to her a couple times, I guess back in those days you had paps before you were 20. So I think I had seen her for that before. And so I just went and did that. And it was um, not a very empowering experience. In fact, I was in the end very traumatized by my birth. I had uh, my son wound up coming at 35 weeks. I had preterm labor for a while and a couple hospitalizations. And um, the OB that I was seeing was actually a um, solo provider and she wasn't on call the day that I actually came in to see my son. Now I didn't have a great rapport with her anyway, but at least I knew her. And, um, I wound up with a precipitous, very rapid, very intense, um, 
crazy birth with a doctor that I didn't even know at the end. And it was all wild and crazy. And I remember, and it was um, an unmedicated forceps delivery, failed vacuum, forceps, episiotomy, all within like an hour at the hospital. Um, and the doctor, I mean, he just wasn't very kind and considerate. I remember him making some comments and, you know, things that were not very helpful. Um, and I remember laying there afterwards, you know, and they took my son away to the nursery and I just remember laying in the bed, like really traumatized, like what just happened? That was crazy. And feeling like this fear. And I knew I wanted to have more children, but I was really afraid to give birth again. So I kind of told myself, well, if I'm going to do that again, then I want to prepare myself better. And I had, I had actually taken a hospital-based childbirth class, but, um, it was, it did not prepare me. It made me feel like if I breathed the right way or did the right thing, that it wouldn't hurt that bad. Um, and the approach that I try to take now is a little bit different to make people, you know, to help them understand that it is doable and they can do it, but no matter what, it's going to be a really intense, probably painful experience. Um, and I wasn't prepared for that. So anyway, I took a, a Bradley class, um, that was taught by a doula with my second pregnancy. And she was the first person who mentioned midwives to me. Um, and, um, so through her class and her teaching, um, I found out about midwives and I switched to a hospital-based midwifery practice during that pregnancy. And really from the first visit, I was just sold. They spent a lot more time with me, talked with me more. Um, and I was very impressed with the model of care and wound up having a very healing hospital birth. I've given birth a bunch of times now, um, with lots <laughs> of different experiences and lots of different places. Um, but that actually, I think was probably, um, my easiest birth, although I don't like to use the word easy with birth and it was definitely not easy, but it was, it was healing and, um, a great experience. And so at that point I knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life. So what made you choose certified nurse midwife versus a direct entry path? So at that time I lived in the state of Maryland, which, um, in that state CPMs were not licensed or legal. So I just didn't know very much about it. Um, and I also had, um, I can't really remember even knowing that there were different options. Um, it was a long time ago. I don't want to say how old I am now, but that was a few years ago. And so I don't remember exactly. But um, prior to going to nursing school, I was a vet tech, which might sound like a big leap to some, but actually a vet tech is a nurse for animals plus everything else. We did it all. We're the radiology tech in the lab and the anesthesia and everything, but it's a lot of nursing care. And I actually had a vet tech friend that had talked about going to nursing school. And so I think I might have already thought about nursing school. Again, I can't remember the timing of how it all came together, but um, it just made sense to me to um, go to nursing school and just take that path. Now, it was a long path for me because um, I had kids, obviously, and um, my husband at the time didn't, he either didn't work or didn't make a lot of money depending on which year we're talking about. So I really needed to get into a job where I could start making money and support my family. And with the path that I took, I was able to do an associate's degree in, I think it took me about three years. It's two years of actual nursing school, but you have to do a year or so of prerequisites. Um, but then I was able to work full time and make a good salary and support my family while I did the rest of my school, which took a lot longer. 
What type of nurse were you? Um, when I first graduated, I, I didn't, I actually did an externship during my undergrad program or my associates program in the emergency room. So I did that for about a year after I graduated. Um, and then I had another child and I did a year of home health, which was just like basic med surge, wound care, blood work, all kinds of different skilled nursing care in the home setting, which I always loved that. It sort of ties into what I do now because I, mm-hmm. even though med surge was never my thing, totally wasn't into that. But I loved seeing people in their homes. You know, you get to meet their grandkids and their dogs and you can look at the food they have in their refrigerator to get an idea of how they're feeding themselves. And I, I really loved that aspect of it. Um, but that job was good for, for family life because it was, you know, I could work during sort of compressed hours that worked for the family. And then it was a lot of paperwork at home. So I did that for another year. And then I went to labor and delivery nursing um, a couple of years after I graduated. And the rest is history, I guess. I've been working with moms and babies since then. Yeah. How long were you L&D before you started your graduate program? Um, gosh, I'm always bad with the years. I did a total of five and a half years of L&D nursing, but that, some of that overlapped with school. So oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it was a, like six years, but that included my time in midwifery school. And what school did you choose? Why did you choose it? I went to Frontier Nursing University, um, which had a different name back then, and I forget what it was. But um, Frontier is a school that is actually out of Kentucky, and um, it is mostly a distance learning program. You have to go there. I had to go there twice. I think they may. I think it might be different now. But when you first start the midwifery part, or yeah, when you first start the school all together. Um, and uh, there's a piece that we haven't talked about, which is I did my bachelor's degree at a separate um, at University of Maryland. And actually, it's a little bit of an interesting story. The reason why I did that was because I had planned, as I said, I always wanted to be a midwife. So that's the only reason I went to nursing school was to be a midwife. And I had I'm a planner. Um, a little type A when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I had picked the whole program and my whole trajectory and I did all the nursing parts and I also had done all of the prerequisites for the University of Maryland program and they had a an associates to master's program for midwifery that I was planning on doing. Um, but in the meantime, when I took a year off to work, just, you know, to get my feet on the ground as an RN, they canceled their midwifery portion. So that was a big bummer. And um, because I had all the prereqs and everything ready to go, I chose to just go ahead and get my bachelor's there at the University of Maryland and then do the graduate portion at Frontier. Um, But anyway, um, you go there once at the beginning of the program and then once at the beginning of your clinical portion. So you do... um, didactic distance learning for the first bit and then the end of it is pretty much all clinicals um did you work and you said you did work during your yes I've always worked full-time through clinicals and everything too Mm -hmm. yeah I did I had a PRN job during clinicals um but I think I were I can't remember exactly but I worked pretty hefty hours Mm -hmm. because again I've always had this family to support and all that stuff and at that time, with working in school, um, what were the general ages of your kids, and how did you manage that? Oh, when I was in clinicals, you're making me do math. Um, I, <laughs> I had at that time I had 
four kids. So I also had a divorce and a remarriage during my um, midwifery school. So oh my like, gosh. I have been through a yeah. complicated, long life process. Um, so when I was in clinicals, I mean, it was great because I had at that point a supportive partner, which I hadn't, not that my previous partner was unsupportive of school, but he just wasn't as good at having a job and paying the bills and other helpful Mm -hmm. things. Um, Mm -hmm. but once I remarried, my partner has been very supportive and he is actually a nurse as well. So he works as a nurse. Um, and, um, I gained a stepdaughter, so I had three children of my own and, um, a stepdaughter. So they were probably around seven, nine, 11 and 14 ish, okay. you know, during that year of clinicals. So not little babies, but definitely mm-hmm. a lot of people to keep up with. Mm-hmm. But they could feed themselves and wash themselves. Yes. Yes. And again, like I said, um, my husband was very supportive. So we would just balance our schedules off of each other. I work night shift at my job and then clinicals were usually during the day with 24 hour call shifts. I think Mm -hmm. I was working like between the two, like probably 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, Mm -hmm. And we had a rotation of babysitters. He worked night shift as well. And we actually found it fairly easy to find nighttime sitters because it's a pretty easy job. They come over and put the kids to bed and then they can sleep and have a day job. So we would have nighttime sitters that would come um, when we worked. And during the day, the kids, my kids go to school. So they would be at school and somehow we made it work. It was kind of crazy after I graduated and I looked up and like looked around at my kids. I wasn't usually at looking at them because I was usually looking at a computer or a book or studying something, or, you know, <laughs> that sounds bad, but you know, it's, uh, we did make time and yeah. they're all very independent and intelligent. And I, I like to think that even though there's definite sacrifices with that, as I know, you know, as well, um, it does model a really good work ethic and, you know, to be driven towards your goals and for, kids to watch you meet them, I think has a value for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, how about after graduation board exam, how did that go and licensing? Um, I, gosh, I don't remember all the timeframes that well. I, I'm also in, in addition to being a planner, I'm also a really anxious to get stuff done type of person. So Mm -hmm. I did it all as fast as I could. Um, I think there was a period, I think it was just maybe two weeks between graduation and taking my boards. Um, I think there was some time period that the school had to release the information. And with Frontier, your graduation date is the date that you take your comps. So it's a comprehensive exam, you know, covering everything. And as soon as you pass that test, which you can do any time, um, they do they do exams from you do it at home, but it's proctored through a camera. So they we call it the spy cam. It watches you to make sure you're doing all the right stuff and none of the wrong stuff. Um, and then, you know, there was a process of waiting. But I do believe it was just a couple weeks. And then um, I actually took my boards eight days before I got married, which was a terrible idea. And I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, I passed, but I've 
you know, you always have that moment where you think you didn't pass while you're waiting for them to print the score report. And the person gave you kind of a funny look and you think, oh, no, she knows I failed. (laughs) And I thought I ruined everything. I'll never be able to have my wedding and enjoy it. But I passed. So it worked out okay. But it was a a really crazy time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so my first job was um, it required a lot of time credentialing, which I know a lot of hospitals, you know, it takes a lot of time. So I can't remember exactly how long it took the licensing to come through because the credentialing and stuff took much longer, mm-hmm. but it was probably a couple of months, the time, you know, between getting the um, boards and getting that, you know, again, they have to send it to the state and you have to apply for the license and all that stuff. It takes a little bit. So your first job was not your practice. How did you find that job? And um, what what was your rationale for doing that first instead of just starting your own business? So it's, well, I mean, I didn't have the balls to just start my own business. Like, I, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I got, I don't know how I was able to do it when I did do it. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, wow, that happened. But I don't really know where I came up with the guts to do that. So, um, at that time, I guess I just, Oh, and the other thing was, um, the collaboration laws were different in the state of Virginia at that time in a way that was prohibitive. Um, you had to have a physician who was actually basically a part of your practice, really supervising. And, um, there just weren't any physicians in the area that would do that. So it was always on my radar, of something that I wanted to do, but, you know, I just wasn't in a position where I felt like it was possible or I was ready to do that. And I think that was, there are people who start, you know, home birth straight out of school and do well. Um, but I think it was good for me to get some time practicing with a lot of support around me. Um, even though that definitely had its challenges, I don't ever regret having had that time and experience of just seeing a much higher volume of everything than you can ever get in the highly personalized, um, you know, in the home birth setting, we kind of slow everything down and just take a lot more time, which is wonderful, but you don't get to see as many people because there's just not enough time to do that. So um, I actually, it's, And another thing about that, so that's why I didn't start my own practice. And as far as choosing um, what job would be the first job, it's really hard to to get a job in some areas. And this area at that time was a pretty hard place. I don't really know what it's like now because I'm not really in touch with the job market. But, um, you know, there's always anxiety, I think amongst new midwives of whether you'll find a job at all and what's out there. And, um, I had had sort of my feelers out and my eyes open for a while and it didn't look like there was a lot to choose from. And, um, there was some connection between a doctor that I worked with, um, at my labor and delivery job and the, um, head midwife where I wound up working. And so she kind of put in a word and it was a place that didn't usually take new grads. So, um, I was very lucky that she kind of knew her and gave her my name. And another nurse that I worked with also had just graduated from midwifery school and also, you know, got in the same way that I did. And it all kind of fell into place. So that was how I wound up there. And how long did you do that job before you switched to your own practice? Um, I was there for about a year and a half. 
Um, okay. And I actually had another baby myself because, you know, four is not enough. So you just got to keep on going. <laughs> and um, after I had my baby and I actually had a home birth myself um, and really that job was not a real good fit for me. It was a difficult, um, environment and, um, my heart has always been in more of the community based, um, out of hospital midwifery, which was not a popular idea there. And again, I appreciate the experience I had there, but it was, you know, my heart was always sort of wanting something a little bit different. And, um, so a few things kind of came together that, helped this all come into place. Number one, um, the laws changed, like I said, and made the, we still have to have a consulting agreement with a physician, but it's a lot more um, flexible as far as who your physician is, how involved they are in your practice. They don't have to be involved in your practice. They just have to be available if you have a question or need a consult. Um, so that was really exciting to sort of open up possibilities like that. And then um, I think having a baby, I really liked the idea. It was kind of like my dream, like my long-term maybe plan that I didn't ever really think could happen, but I thought it would be a nice transition back into working where I could be more flexible and have more time with him and sort of start off taking, you know, early pregnant people so that I didn't have to do births for a little while and and all that sort of thing. Um, And then the other thing was um, just kind of put a fire under me for providing the service to the community that I'm able to provide. And we have a lot of really great um, CPMs in our community, which is wonderful. And I had, uh, you know, I used Seven Cities Midwifery for my home birth and I love them and they're wonderful. Um, But the law prohibits their practice in certain ways. Um, They're not allowed to carry medications. And um, I wanted to be able to bring that level of access to care and resources to women who desire home birth in our community. So having gone through that myself and having some stress because I was GBS positive and I wanted treatment and, you know, I had to bend over, you know, most people wouldn't be able to do that. Fortunately with me being a midwife and my husband being an ICU nurse, we were able to pull together the resources to make that happen for me, but most people can't do that. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to be an option for that sort of thing for people in our community. Um, So I sat with my newborn baby and wrote forms, held him in one arm and wrote up consent forms and things like that in the other arm and kind of pulled it all together. And wow, it happened. Yeah. And now you're here. Now I'm here. So tell us a little bit, what does your work life look like now? Obviously it's super, it's flexible because it's yours, but in general, what does it look like for you? Yeah, it's um, that's a nice theory that it's flexible because it's mine, but it's actually everybody <laughs> else's. It's how it kind of turns out. Yeah, it's, that's true. It's um, it is more flexible than a nine to five, and that definitely has its benefits um, because I can schedule the clinic days, the days that work the best for me, and that and that sort of thing. But um, I'm on call 24/7, and I've pretty much been that way. I do have an associate midwife who works with me now, named Katie, and um, that has allowed me to take some vacation this year, which has been amazing. But um, as I always tell my clients, I don't ever want to miss their birth, so you know I am pretty much on call 24/7 when I'm in town. And um, and there's we provide very personalized care, and it's one of the things that we 
we want to do for people and we want to provide is, you know, the ability for them to contact us with questions and things like that um, at any time, um, which is wonderful. And we want to provide that care. But that means that I work all the time, pretty much. My phone dings and rings all the time and I get texts and messages and emails and questions. And the way that I relax now is to um, work on my computer. <laughs> that's that's how I relax. Um, so that's that's sort of the it works well for me because I just um, have a pretty boring life, I guess. So I don't mind it that much, although I do get a little, um, you know, sometimes it's just overwhelming when you're trying to think about this and that. And you have a lot. It's just a lot of incoming stuff all the time. Um, but I am around a lot more. I don't know that I am able to look at my kids much more than I used to be. And I, I also think sometimes I reflect on the fact that it's what you get used to. I was used to working all the time because I was in school all the time. So when I wasn't at work, I was working on schoolwork and now I'm just working on work, work all the time. Um, but I'm definitely present more and have more control of my time outside of births is always the, you know, we always joke that it's no matter what, it's always ends with if I'm not at a birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's what you told exciting. me yesterday. Yep. That's what I, that's what I tell everybody every day. <laughs> um, I did want to backtrack about school and talk yes. about how you paid for it. Oh, gosh. Well, I have a million dollars in student loans. So yeah. Don't we all? That. Yep. Yeah. So, so you're just um, trudging away at those. Yeah. So it's a huge, um, it's a lot of money. And, you know, even with working again with a family to support and everything, I took out the maximum student loans. So Mm -hmm. um, it's very disconcerting to know that even paying a very large amount every month, it just keeps it at bay instead of Mm -hmm. actually whittling away at the balance. So I'll be probably paying them forever. <laughs> I think but, that's how we all feel. But it's worth it to do what you love, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So in this journey, this is a, one of those deep questions. Oh, did boy. you ever feel like quitting and why and how did you get through it? Um no. I don't really think I ever felt I don't I don't consider quitting to be an option really. Okay. I'm a little hard on myself in that way. So I can't remember ever thinking about quitting. There were definitely days that were hard. Um, I don't remember ever thinking about quitting school. Um, at my first job, there were definitely hard days and hard personalities and days that were hard to get through. I definitely had tears, you know, in the bathroom and the parking garage and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it was just never an option to to not keep moving forward. And, and how, how about, I got through it was just being stubborn, I guess. And Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask about that, and you're going to tell me stubbornness, too. <laughs> um, how have you handled – has there any ever been a time where you felt like burnout or had some trauma as a bedside care provider, and how have you handled that? Um, I do think I get burned out sometimes with um, what I was touching on before, kind of mm-hmm. just the 24-7. Yeah. Um, on all the time. And I've handled that. The biggest thing I've done for myself is um, added another midwife into the mix, which is a hard thing to do when you're used to everything being you. I mean, that has Mm -hmm. a downside, but it also has a positive side, which is that you're the boss of everything. You know, you get Mm -hmm. to do things the way you want to do it and when you do it and all that stuff. Um, and, And plus, you know, it's hard to give up having 
my hands on everything, you know, cause you do get those close relationships with people. So, um, and then financially, of course, it's hard to bring someone on and have to pay for their services and that kind of thing. So that was a hard decision, but it was really nice to be able to go on vacation with my family and to have someone, um, like for example, for this, I was able to forward the phones over to her for our time so that I'm not having to Aww. answer phones while I'm talking to yeah. you and things like that. Um, so that was good. And then I think also, Um, As I've been doing this for more time, and if there are people out there who are considering this kind of practice, it's amazing. It has so many benefits, and I absolutely love it. Um, But what I have had to explore and will continue to need to explore and get better at is setting some boundaries, Um, maybe not Mm -hmm. looking at the phone. You know, we always tell our people, always call us if you need us right away. And so people know that, and they'll text. And, you know, I just have to learn to not always answer every text within five minutes of it coming. It's okay to answer texts a couple of times a day or whatever. And we have, um, we've been working at having people message us through our electronic health record a little bit more, um, versus doing even the texts for stuff that's not urgent so that that way I don't see it until I log in to do work and then I'll see their messages and I can answer them when I've set aside time to do that. Um, Because it does get a little bit overwhelming when, you know, as you know, we all have our phones with us all the time. So if I'm trying to do something with my kids or something and i am got incoming stuff going on and once you see it, you can't help but think about it and then you feel like you have to respond. So um, I think setting setting boundaries and setting up different systems and trying to be thoughtful about that is probably the best uh, key for success. And the other one is staying away from insurance companies that's when I felt really burned out was when I was trying to negotiate insurance contracts because they're horrible to deal with. Did you get through it? Um, yeah, (laughs) I guess it's still ongoing. We finally got through it with United healthcare. Um, I saw that. Yeah. Yes. It was a terrible process and I'm not happy with the outcome in the sense that they just won't negotiate or fix anything. But ultimately I had to decide, to move forward um so at least it's over for now and we're still working on anthem and cigna uh, are the other two that are on our radar uh and then the billing part too probably if i was smart probably if you ask me next year i'll tell you that getting a biller would be the way that i avoided burnout but i haven't (laughs) done that yet i have to get a little more burnt out before i do that well it's in your it's in your forethought so that's good that's right it's an option so you touched on stubbornness But I'm going to ask you if you could give yourself, name one quality characteristic that has gotten you through this. Is that what it is? Probably. I don't know if, I think, I think I just trudge forward without thinking about things too much except for the next steps. You know, like I said before, quitting isn't an option. I, um, I don't think about it very much, but when I set myself a goal and, um, I guess I tend to just keep on going until I meet it. Yeah, I think that's midwife brain, too. Yep. Um, now that you've been in practice for uh, quite a few years, right? About five yeah. years or so? Yeah, do you think I you're just did wide? my five-year recertification. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's fun. Mine's coming up. Do you? Um, how has your why you're a midwife, how has that changed? Um, I think the fundamental is still the same. I think that, um, you know, and I told my story, but I guess I didn't really – elaborate the why, which is just that I want then and now I want people to have access to care that makes them feel empowered and um, not traumatized 
I guess not traumatized is a really good like basement level, you know, and then we can keep going up from there. You know, we can, we can start out with the, not the negative and then move towards the positive. Um, and, and I think over the years, as I've practiced more, more details of that have become more, I guess, prevalent to me. Um, prevalence, not the right word, but, um, yeah, like for example, I am specifically very protective of babies and I, it really bothers me the way that birth is traumatic for babies or after birth is often traumatic for babies and they come out and they're, you know, ripped from their mothers and all this kind of stuff is done to them. And so that is something And I guess it just gets to the fundamental of the fact that I think that birth matters. It matters for everyone. It matters for the mother who's giving birth because, you know, she's going through this process and becoming a mother. And even if you're already a mother, you're becoming a mother again. And, you know, if we can help you be healthy and happy and empowered and strong in that process, then I believe that you carry that through, you know, to into your mothering. And then for babies too, it's like, if you think about the way that you come into the world, that's the beginning of it. And so if we can do that gently, where you come right from your calm, quiet inside to your calm, quiet outside, I just can't believe that that doesn't make a fundamental difference in who we are and who we become. And you are part of that, which is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm privileged to be. And then yeah. there's the, you know, the, so that's like the reasons why. And then all the, you know, again, like dealing with the insurance issues and all that stuff, that's about access to care, about, you know, providing women access to this kind of care that, that I feel is so important and so powerful. And, um, you know, it shouldn't just be for people with a stack of money laying around or lots of resources. Um, so that's why we bother with the insurance companies is because we want more people to be able to access that mm-hmm. and just change, you know, systems and perspectives. It makes me so mad that it's, you know, it, it makes all the sense for insurance to cover home birth. It's way cheaper and it's, you know, good outcomes and quality care. Um, but you know, there are all kinds of other reasons why it's not just common. That's a whole other podcast yes. episode. Yes, it is. Well, and I don't want to get myself yeah. in trouble, so I'll just stop <laughs> you know? right there. But <laughs> that's a healthcare in America question right there. Yes. Yes, indeed. We we just won't even go there today. Um, <laughs> if you could give an aspiring midwife a piece of advice, what would it be? Um, keep going. The work is important and we need you. And one of the things that um, I think is important is knowing that you can make your way. You know, I know people, I knew someone in school who was in midwifery school and then I think something happened in her community, maybe the birth center shut down or something like that. But anyway, she said, there's no jobs for me here. So I'm going to go FMP, which we need to FMPs too. But I said, no, you know, make your own practice, just do this. And at the time, you know, who was I, right. But now I can say it because I did it. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, even though it's hard and, uh, when I think about all that I've learned and all that I've done, I don't even know how that was possible, but it is possible. And, you know, everybody has a different path and everybody wants, and 
I should say too, you know, this is what I'm doing now, but there's a huge need for people to make the system better in the hospital too, you know, and I don't know if I'll always do this or if I'll center my efforts, you know, in that direction at some point in my career. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done everywhere because not everybody can and should have a home birth. You know, we need hospitals, we need physicians, we need all of that. Um, And as I always tell my clients, we're really glad it's there when we need it because we do need it. And, um, but there's legitimate, um, challenges, I'll say, with sort of the standard OB care in a lot of hospitals that are, you know, it's understandable that people want to avoid that. So there's a lot of work to be done in those systems as well to change things. And so, you know, again, aspiring midwives, wherever you see yourself going, there's a need for you there. And we all need to work together so that we can make you know, make sure that women with all situations and backgrounds have access to really good care. That was a beautiful answer. Thanks. Um, so this is the point where I would usually ask about what resource you recommend, but I want you to talk about the podcast we talked about offline that you listen to. Yeah, so um, there is a podcast called Dr. Stu's Podcast, and Dr. Stu is an OB doctor who uh, does home birth in California, and he talks about his, he has an active practice, so they are, and he has a CPM that um, is his co-host and also does home births, and they talk about stories from their practices and all kinds of relevant things, political issues, and um, he goes around and does a lot of education. So he was a physician in the hospital for a long time and has a lot of varied experiences, and he does um, breaches and twins and all kinds of different things. So that's been my uh, birth assistant, Deborah, actually told me about that podcast a while ago, and I've been listening to it. And one of the things that is a little bit of a challenge for doing what I do, it's a little bit isolating, and most of the medical um, community not including you, but most of the medical community doesn't like home birth and they, you know, you sort of feel like um, an outsider. And Mm -hmm. so listening to other people who do what you do, what I do, talk about it and, you know, that it's not a bad thing is refreshing and nice. So that's one of the things I like about listening to it is hearing the things that are normal for me also be spoken about in a positive light and normalized by other people. So, I mean, like I said, we have a good community of home birth midwives. So the CPMs in this community have been a great resource to me and mm-hmm. I am very grateful for them in helping me learn, you know, cause I always had a passion for out of hospital birth, but I didn't have the opportunity of having that experience as um, a student. So when I was starting my practice, my friend who's a CPM with home birth practice, she, I was able to attend some home births with her just as an observer to learn how to set up birth pools. And sorry, my child just walked in the room. (laughs) learn how to set up birth pools and where she puts her equipment and, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, my, um, I had midwives myself. And so, um, I sat and talked with my midwives about everything. So that's been a great resource for me and they have remained a good resource for me. We support each other and share resources and, um, and that's been very nice. Um, there are obviously some differences in practice and experience. And also I think we have the benefit nowadays of having online communities. So that's also been really helpful is having access to 
um, you know, Facebook groups. I always think about quitting Facebook because it sucks my life out of me and, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) takes up too much time and you get into controversies and conversations. But at the same time, you know, there are groups of -of out-of-hospital midwives that I can bounce questions off of and, um, you know, utilize as a resource. And so that's, it helps with the, the isolation. We want social media to be more good than bad. Yes, we want that. So I know you need to go and be a mom. Me too. But last minute, share what your, you've mentioned your business name. Do you have a website? Do you have a social media page? And what is it? Yes. Um, it is, my practice is Three Rivers Midwifery. And the website is www.3riversmidwifery.com. Okay. And we have a Facebook page too. I don't know how to reference that, but if you search. Just the name, Three Rivers Midwifery. Yeah, Three Rivers Midwifery. Okay. Um, I'm kind of bad at that kind of stuff. My Facebook presence is fairly minimal. I have had a goal of sharing pictures from births with, you know, of families who agree to it, but I'm not very good at keeping up with that. And I don't understand Instagram. So I have an Instagram (laughs) page too, but I don't know how to work it. That's okay. Someday you'll you can teach hire me. out for that too. Right. <laughs> you can hire me when I. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So anyway, thank you, Cindy, for interviewing. Yeah, thank I you for your time. Thank you. Cindy for interviewing with me. It was fun hearing and now sharing your story. As a colleague and friend, I can confidently say that from the outside that Cindy is making big changes by working to provide access to care as a CNM in our local community. I've seen many of her clients on a collaborative basis and they are thrilled with their care Cindy's giving. Please take a moment today and leave a review on iTunes if you listened and Please take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram as at midwife.mommy. Also, don't forget to check out all my blog posts where I elaborate a little bit more on each podcast episode at www.journeytomidwifery.org. If you are a student, there's some great digital resources on there for purchase as well. Until next time, friends.